Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today's episode is going to be a doozy. We're going to be covering the AFC South Division in our NFL preview. We're less than a week away from the NFL's start. We're going to be under the gun here trying to finish our divisional previews, but I'm bringing back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, Benny. What's popping? What's popping, brother? We, um, we are... You know, like I said, less than a week away. The season starts on Thursday. We're recording this Monday morning, Labor Day, and we, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. We, we, I feel like bit off a little bit more than we can chew with how detailed we've been in these divisional previews. Just like two hours on each each division has been kind of tough, but you know, I think it's going to pay off in the end, both personally and for our listeners, because whoever's listening to us is getting some pretty primo information. Um, we're we're doing really like detailed in-depth analysis and it's th- it's stuff you don't really hear on every podcast you you could read some of this stuff like a lot of the stuff I, I information i pull is from things i've read things i've i've listened to and i'm pulling from a lot of different directions um but the fact is just like the the type of analysis we're getting on here is much more in depth than what you'll hear on like the uh the casual football podcast that's going 30 45 minutes you know what i mean Oh, absolutely. And and the good news is, you know, the season kicks off Thursday, but then we also have the, the majority of games on Sunday. So we have a little bit of buffer. We already covered the Cowboys. So mm-hmm. I think we're in good shape. We just need to get to the Bucks and talk about Tom Brady's uh, year two with them. We did do that. Remember, we, we did the NFC South. That was like our second one. You know, I'm coming off a move. Together. I'm coming off a together. move, so I'm so tired. But uh, this is like the this is like the vicious talk breakfast club edition. We're early in the morning, but both getting the crust out our eyes. <laughs> I went for a still. jog already. I'm like sweaty, <laughs> laying in bed over here. It's uh. So then we're covered. We already got. We already we already previewed the two teams on Thursday, so we have a little bit of a buffer. We we're good there at least for sure. Um. And it, it's it's just exciting that we're we're getting into crunch time. We both had our fantasy football drafts now, and so while we've missed some of the boat on some of the fantasy analysis, what we could do is you know start to aim towards in season and, and preseason adjustments to make in your fantasy leagues. Um, you know before we get going, as we get going, things to monitor, those types of things. We'll we'll also you know start to hint towards as well. We could also you know we're, we're I'm happy to and we'll continue our fantasy little portion for each team because we'll be able to you know, offer some advice or some suggestions on like the players that we think um, are valuable or, or invaluable on these teams that we're going to be talking about. So we could, you know, give you some advice on what to expect out of the guys you've picked already in your fantasy teams. Right. And I mean, like we said, the season doesn't kick off till Thursday. So I know there are leagues drafting tonight, tomorrow, you know, Wednesday night too, ideally. So exactly. Plenty right, more Connor. to cover. And Definitely. and also the rankings up on the website they've been there. So yes. If you're if you're still doing some prep work or you want to see how strong your team stacks up, check it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's allthingsanalysis.com. You can check out our fantasy rankings on there. Just use your Google or Facebook account. No credit card information. Everything's pretty easy on there. Um, and you can check out specifically my rankings. They're a little bit more accurate. <laughs> typically. <laughs> We'll see. I mean, Ben and I are in two leagues together. We'll see who can come out on top. We have an ATA league of record this year. We so there's will. no complaining about rules or anything. <laughs> you know, this is this is the customized league of how we want it. And everybody out there who's playing fantasy football, we suggest you do the same. If you don't like the league rules you've been in, just create your own league and make, make some awesome rules where defenses and kickers barely do anything or don't exist at all because... 
what's worse than like losing a fantasy matchup because Justin Tucker put up 18 points and he played the, the Patriots D who put up 30, you know? Right. I know. It's um I I just I just really don't enjoy when the kickers and the defense like significantly impact the fantasy matchup. Even for like good or bad I'm, in my personal point of view, I'm just like I just don't like winning on kicking. I don't like losing on kicking. I don't like I don't like I don't, like a defensive sack like how significant does a sack feel sometimes in a fantasy matchup it's like the, the some of those things it's just you know I, I don't know it's just my personal my personal opinion i just i don't really enjoy when fantasy football is determined by those you know that small minutia of the football game i like you know the big plays that the the uh exciting offense you know maybe a, like a pick six is still relevant and fit for a defense like those types yeah. of things those are big deals but um just it's nice that we were, were able to you know keep put our hands on the dial for the ATA league we'll be talking about it I'm sure throughout the year on this podcast and um it's nice to have like a, a group we have 14 teams in this league it's going to be so competitive we did an auction draft we're no we're, we've graduated from the the uh, the casual fancy football fans uh, snake drafts and we're going shit on the snake draft so much so bad he called them booger eaters <laughs> the ones who do the snake drafts i'm just like that's a little harsh but it is uh it's it's a more sophisticated version of fantasy football and uh, i think we're ready for that obviously considering that we have a podcast based on fantasy football or yeah and apparently not, you like crushed our freaking draft <laughs> so might I, as well quit ben, ben already won that. the league I hate that. I don't like being the front runner. After the auction draft we had, I was the projected front runner, and I'm just like, I don't like having that target on my back. I like, you know, being middle to lower part of the the the, the rankings, and then be able to work my way up. You know, I might I might create a post about your league of record team and my league of record team, and we'll see what our followers think. You know, team A or team B, which would you rather have? But your team is Not pretty filthy. Yeah, I I mean. I this year I went to my I had I'm only in two leagues this year and I usually have a little bit more than that but um you know I think it's going to help me with also some of our folk, we could do some focus on DFS gambling's legal in Arizona finally it's coming hey. the ninth you know some of that stuff is going to take up my extra my extra time uh, <laughs> time to sell some of those sports cards so you can make some bets right true true that yeah all right real quick. Ben's team, Josh Allen, Aaron Jones, Damian Harris, CeeDee Lamb, Keenan Allen, T. Higgins, Noah Fant, Kareem Hunt in the flex, 49ers, Mason Crosby. I mean, you want to Mike, talk about a deep league at 14 Davis teams. Is Mike Davis on my bench, too? Mike Davis, Philip Lindsay, Evan Ingram, Trey Lance. Like, I, I love your team, dude. It's a really good team. Clearly, I did my research, and I felt prepared for it. So, the, I, the only thing I'm worried about is the, uh, the, the running back I don't really have a top tier running back. I think Aaron Jones is a top tier guy, but um, a little bit more risky in terms of the guys that went around that value. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right, buddy, let's dive into it. The NFC, the AFC uh, South division. That's the Texans, the Jaguars, the Colts, and the uh, Titans. It's a good bunch, but it's kind of being anticipated as a weaker division. I think we're going to see a little bit of a surprise is my guess from some of these guys. I mean, specifically the Colts and Titans are, are two very good teams that were slept on last year, continue to be slept on in recent years. Um, and we're going to talk about them, but we're not going to kick off with the podcast with those guys, but 
just I, I don't I don't love hearing that like oh the AFC South is a is a cakewalk. Um, you know the Texans we're gonna start with them. Pretty weaker team, obviously, possibly the weakest team in the in the league this year. And I think that's what's gonna skew those numbers in that direction um, overall as a division. But the the top the top teams in this in the AFC South are, are pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, I think, you know, when we're talking about the Titans, it's a team that's been to like the championship round within the past couple of years. They have a really strong roster, added Julio Jones, and then obviously the Colts, uh, an amazing defense, an awesome running game, great offensive line if, if healthy. And they added Carson Wentz. So a couple of teams that I think are legitimate contenders to, you know, push deep into the playoffs and the Jags should be markedly improved after drafting a new quarterback. The only team that took a large step back in the division was, you know, clearly the Texans when, you know, Deshaun Watson is kind of up in the air. So for sure. All right, let's talk about the Texans. Last year they were four and 12, the over under win total on the season coming in four and a half. They are plus 2,300. I've seen it up to uh, 2,500 to win the division, basically counted right on out from, from that. Um, they, you know, the the story of their their preseason and their offseason was just all the dysfunction going on in the organization. And a lot of the the guys that we had come to know as the faces of this franchise are either in federal sexual assault cases or gone off this roster. I mean, just, just like a year and a half ago, two years ago, we had DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Will Fuller. Uh, Deshaun, of course. Deshaun, Deshaun obviously, and, and Lamar all Miller. Guys, all those guys are likely off this team or not playing this year. Um, and it's it it was just a horrendous offseason. I can't think of a offseason that went worse in the history of the the time I've watched the NFL. I don't. I can't remember an offseason this bad for Houston. I mean, just two years ago, they won what eleven games in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. and, and that was kind of a fluke. And a lot of the stats kind of suggest that it, it, they probably should have been um, a little bit worse. But it seems like they kept sneaking into the playoffs and then getting smoked in the first round, but they were making the playoffs. I mean, Deshaun Watson is when he plays, he's a legit quarterback. He's a top five talent in this league. No Deshaun this year. JJ's in Arizona. Will Fuller's in Miami. Like this team is just going to going to be completely different this year. And we got new coaches, new GMs. I mean, the question leading to this t- this season for them is is will the NFL's most disastrous offseason lead into the NFL's most disastrous regular season? And I think that's a legitimate question considering all the things that went wrong during the offseason. Yeah, I mean, this team is definitely competing more for the first pick than first place, I would say. For sure. And I would put them right there with the Lions for the likelihood to have the worst record in the league. Yeah, those those happen to be the two lowest win totals coming into the year. I mean, the Texans... Aside from the player movement, you know, they hired GM Nick Casero. He used to be the ch- the team chaplain for New England. He was there for I think like almost two decades, the early two thousands when he was when he went went to New England and he was working as a scout and then an executive. Um, and he comes in as the GM, doesn't really seem to be qualified for the position. I don't know specifically. I'm not I'm not an insider, so I don't know specifically how Casero was involved in New England. I don't know what his role was specifically in terms of the ins and outs and the daily process of the the player personnel decisions but what wasn't he team chaplain or something like that he was the team chaplain i don't know what that entails though i mean like was he helping bill belichick with player personnel decisions i mean that seems doubtful but he comes into houston and immediately you know stirs up 
some some real hot so it turns into a real hot pot here in, in Houston. I mean, it's, hot it's mess getting, of garbage. <laughs> it's getting real warm in Houston. Um, these guys are all on the hot seat. It seems like in their first year, and they settled on the head coach David Cully. Cully served as an assistant head coach, wide receivers coach, and passing game coordinator for the Ravens from 2019 to 2020. He also worked under Andy Reid with the Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs from 1999 to 2016. So he's a he's an Andy Reid tree guy, um, and I don't know he's never been a, he's never been a head coach, but I mean clearly Houston didn't consult Deshaun Watson on this decision because it seems like ages ago that the story was Deshaun Watson was requesting a trade and didn't even want to play in Houston. But now Watson doesn't, doesn't have the the option to play anywhere. So (laughs) boy, how the turntable it's, it's, it's been chaotic in Houston and not in a good way. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's just been crazy. And you look at, you know, I told I, t- I talked to you about how in 2019 there was a little bit of fool's gold with the amount of wins that they had. 2020 swung in the completely opposite direction. You know, I think what did I say four wins last year. Um, and you look at just like the luck, the luck, the uncontrollable stats, the, the stats you kind of you know base on things that are just kind of outside of your control. Record and games decided by a field goal in 2019 they were five and one. 2020 they were one and two. Records in games decided by one score. 2019 they were eight and three. 2020 they were two and eight. Record in games when trailing at halftime. 2019 they were four and five. That's excellent when you're trailing at halftime. By the way, the ha- the team that leads at the half, it's going to be kind of a theme throughout some of my notes here in this pod. The team that w- that has the lead at the half usually wins the game 80% of the time. So 4 and 5 when you're trailing at a half is really good. 2020, Houston Texans went 0 and 9. Record in games when trailing and entering in the fourth quarter. Houston in 2019 went 4 and 4 when they were trailing entering the fourth quarter. 2020 they went 0 and 9. Watson also improved significantly in 2020 to become one of the league's top five quarterbacks based on a lot of the advanced statistics, but he's not going to be able to save them in 2021-2022 for a myriad of reasons, obviously considering the sexual assault scandals and everything going on with that. It's just dysfunction after dysfunction with this team. Um, and I think, you know, I, I while I, I just gave you some stats that suggest maybe 2020 was a little bit worse than what could have been expected. Not only were they unlucky last year, but during the offseason, they were incredibly unlucky as well. They had all these types of, like what we're talking about, player personnel and and uh, management mishaps. And I just think that we're looking at another four-win tops type of season for Houston. Yeah, I think that feels right. I mean, even four wins feels pretty high for this team considering, you know, Tyrod Taylor is going to be their starting quarterback. David Davis Mills is the backup. So a lot of question marks. That when you dive into some of the advanced stats Watson had last year, he wasn't just good. He was great. Incredible. He carried, he carried the Texans to an offensive DVOA rank of a thir- of 13 overall. The rushing DVOA was 32nd. They were last in the league in rushing. <laughs> and imagine they gave up DeAndre Hopkins to get that running back. <laughs> right. And they were tw- they were their their offensive line was 27th in adjusted line yard metrics. So they they were there was literally one good player on their offense and he led them to an overall offensive ranking of 13. That's incredible. Houston's passing game ranked 8th in DVOA last year. They were 5th in EPA per play. Watson was 12th in QBR, throwing to literally Wolf Fuller and then a bunch of scrubs almost. Well, uh, Brady Cooks was decent. 
he was okay at times last year. So Watson was he was first in completion percentage above expects, uh, expectation, which means he was doing more with less. He was in, he was incredibly successful when the play broke down on the and when he had to throw on the run. Um, the subtraction of his best receiver DeAndre Hopkins, um, despite that, you know Watson was even more accurate while his receivers were creating even less space, forcing him to throw into even tighter windows last year. The guy was incredible. It's just it's a major gut blow that Houston isn't going to be able to have their franchise quarterback behind center just for reasons that are outside of their control reasons that shouldn't be happening so it's pretty embarrassing what's happened there i just i i I, all this is going to contribute to me just not being optimistic about houston this season i don't know how you could pick the over on that four and a half win total now i think that literally every single game that they go into they'll likely be the underdog um Mm -hmm. except for any unforeseen injuries you know that, that come down the line for their opponents but i i don't feel good about the texans whatsoever yeah, there's really I can't I can't pinpoint a single thing to be optimistic about for this team. Um, then not, not only Deshaun Washington, not only is Deshaun Watson un- unlikely to play, he also brought this like we we haven't even touched about how like how big of a cloud this brings into the locker room. Like it's just it's depressing when your franchise guy does this type of just your team leader scummy. somebody. It's scummy and it's disgusting what he's done. And it's like that guy was leading your locker room for a few years now, and he was doing this on the side like. It's it's something you like you look at. And it's like, man, how do we not see this happening? How do we like? How do we trust this guy? You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, Tyrod Taylor's taking over under center. He's played 169 snaps over the last over three years since 2018. He ranks 56th out of 62 quarterbacks in EPA per play during that span. So the poor guy had his lung punctured last year right before a game. That's what led to Justin Herbert getting his starting chance. Yeah, and there's just no talent on this roster across the board. I mean, not no talent, but there's a severe lack of it. Um, And Houston also is expected to face the third most difficult schedule in the NFL, including opponents from the tough NFC West, along with the Browns and the Chargers. So they have a real tough schedule ahead of them in in 2021-22. I just, I'm picking the under on the four and a half. Oh, I I love that. I mean, I wouldn't even consider betting the over in this situation. And, you know, it's no fun to root for unders, but it just seems like a far cry to think that this team is going to win that many games. Definitely. Is there there anybody in fantasy football that you're considering for this team? I'm fine with taking Brandon Cooks as like a wide receiver four or five, you know, maybe a flex consideration. He's, He's a guy who year after year was putting up a thousand yards no matter what team he was on i think two years ago finally he had injury concerns and but last year he bounced back in a major way and and was productive um the other guy i like on this team is nico collins uh he's a rookie and he should see some significant playing time he might be able to win that job over kiki cutie and emerge i mean someone's got to catch passes but nobody on this team i'm relying on to be in my starting lineup that's for sure. Yeah. What about Philip Lindsay? He seems to be the, uh, the only running back for me personally, like Philip Lindsay is the only running back I'm considering for Houston. I mean, um, we saw how effective he could be in Denver. He left there just because, you know, he didn't have a draft pedigree. We saw that, you know, Denver wasn't really w- wanting to keep him around and pay him. Um, and he goes into Houston and seems like he stole that starting job. It was seemed like it was David Johnson, and then Mark Ingram got signed there. Um, and then they bring in Philip Lindsay, and it seems like it's going to be his job. 
um, at least yeah, for the majority yeah. of the work or the significant fancy portions of the work? Like, is he a guy that you're considering it on your bench, at least in fancy? He's yeah, I guess he's 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 a stash. Um, with a three-headed monster at running back, though, it's going to make it very difficult to pinpoint. It seems like they've um, they've really decided on a specific role for each player. And it sounds like Lindsay's gonna be gonna be the between the twenties guy and get a lot of carries. Um, but then you're, I think Mark Gold, Mark Ingram is gonna get a lot of the goal line work. I almost called, called him Mark Goal Line. <laughs> and then David Johnson is gonna give the third down work. So you're taking the three parts of what makes a fantasy relevant running back, and then you're splitting them amongst three different guys. So I really don't think that there's gonna be a lot of starting value unless a few of these guys get injured or at least one of them um, because yeah. of the duties are going to be so spread out. But Lindsay, I would say is the guy you would want to roster in that situation. Agreed. All right, let's roll into the Indianapolis Colts last year. They were tw- uh, in 2020. They were 11 and five. They lost to the bills in the playoffs in that divisional round. They, their over under win total is nine. They are plus plus one forty to win this division. The story of this team coming into the year is the Carson Wentz thing, um, replacing Phillip Rivers last year. Rivers had a solid season. He finished 12th. The Colts offense finished 12th in offensive DVOA. Wentz now filling at the starting quarterback role. He's reunited with his old offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, Frank Reich. Is Wentz's reuniting with Frank Reich, is that, you know, is, is that going to be able to help him right the ship, regain his confidence as a passer and as a play caller and as a football player in general? Like Wentz really hit a low a, a low spot last year, easily the worst uh, worst season of his career thus far. You look at his just his QBR over the last uh, five seasons while he's been in the league in 2017, 78 and a half. That was first in the league. His breakout campaign was was that rookie year. 2018, he was 62. That was 12th. 29, uh, 2019-62.8, which is with 11th. And then last year, he was 49.6, which was 28th. Big drop-off last season. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, we, we have two we have two mediocre seasons, two league average seasons, are more or less, one excellent season, and then one just atrocious year. So which Carson Wentz are we getting here in, in, in Indianapolis, Connor? I do think that it's going to be a major improvement in terms of the offensive line versus what he had in Philadelphia. I mean, he was running like a chicken with his head cut off last year, and it's going to be difficult to be very accurate when you're a pocket passer like Wentz, who's also suffered leg injury. So he's going to be a little bit jumpier in that type of situation where defenses are bearing down on him. I like that he's reuniting with Frank Reich. You know, the last year the Eagles were very injured on offense as well. Not a lot of ver- uh, veteran pass catchers. Um, the situation isn't far different in with the Colts in terms of their pass catchers. You have Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman, who are kind of second and third year players. But I think they're very talented. And I do see this season being a little bit more of Carson Wentz getting used to the system. Hopefully he's able to stay healthy. We, he's already had the foot injury and the surgery. Um, but if that comes to fruition, I think he will be more towards that league average for him because he will have more time behind that offensive line. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines are great safety outlets in terms of just, you know, having a short pass to dump off. They're both electric after, after the catch. So I think he is much better set up this year than last year, at least. And I, and you know, this Colts defense is going to keep them in so many games where the pressure isn't going to be on Carson Wentz to throw the ball like crazy, like he had to do with the Eagles who had much worse defensive situation last year. Yeah, 
I think you're right with the O-line specifically. I mean, last year the Eagles had a ravaged O-line in terms of health, but it's kind of interesting when you look at the stats for these two offensive lines because last year they were pretty similar in terms of performance. Um, just some pass block win rate, they were they both, the Eagles and the Colts finished 11th and 12th. The Eagles were 11, Colts were 12th. They were both 60% on, on pass block win rate. And the, the Colts offensive line, you know, should be a little bit improved this year. I, I mean, minus the, you know, the retirement of Anthony Costanzo, their their left tackle. He was excellent for them for many years. Um, but they bring in Eric Fisher from the Col- uh, from the Chiefs. And um, you'd like to think that they, you know, could could get some more development on the, with the young guys, get a little bit better there. Um, and, and the Eagles last year, you know, despite that, that stat, you know, the – but the eye test wasn't there for them. You know, they had so many injuries. I think they were the most banged up offensive line all season long. I don't know how many how many different starters they had to throw out there throughout the year. And, you know, ESPN that's coming into the season projects the Colts to finish ninth in pass block win rate this season. So they're projecting a little bit of an improvement. Also, you know, the Colts, like you said, they have a little bit more of a safety offset, so safety valves for him on this offense. Um, you know, they're going to improve Wentz's confidence by probably yeah. reducing that average depth of target for him. Rivers last year had an average depth of target on just uh, of just 7.3 yards on three-step drops. Um, and, and those are the, the types of throws that Wentz struggled most at last year. He had a negative 0.38 EPA per attempt on three-step drops last year. Wentz was averaging 9.7 average depth of target on those throws. The league, the league average is 8.7. So Rivers was well below the league average when was well above it reducing that target depth especially on those mid-range throws and three-step drops it's going to increase his confidence by you know getting him some completions on scripted throws i think it's going to be crucial for him uh you know just to improve improve that accuracy reduce pressure rates for him gain that confidence back in uh, yeah he's he's got to get the ball out of his hands faster i think that's one thing we saw last year he was just holding the ball scrambling around too too long and he would get himself into these like hero situations where he's throwing off of one foot rolling out of the pocket while he's getting hit. And I think a major improvement for him this year is if they're able to scheme up some of those quicker passes, exactly like you're saying, just to, just to build up that confidence. And and we're talking about, you know, fast young pass catchers that can do a lot with, with the ball in their hands. So hopefully he's going to be able to benefit from the yards after the catch too. Yep. And I think the calling card, the the thing to keep an eye on for for uh, for Wentz's success and, and improvement also is going to be early down passing. I mean, the Colts and the Eagles actually had similar rates of early down passing last season. Uh, I think they were both about maybe. Where did I write it down? They both they they were they were. Uh, ranked second. The Colts were ranked second early down passing efficiency in the first half. The Eagles, I think, were like in the top five. But Rivers, uh, last year on the fir- in the first half and on early downs, he had 8.8 yards per attempt, 60% success, 0.27 EPA per attempt. That's pretty solid. That's Rivers in the first half on early downs. And you look at Wentz's. The reason why I bring this up is how st- uh, how starkly different these these uh, stats are. Wentz on those on those first half early down passes, 5.7 yards per attempt, a 44% success rate negative 0.2 EPA per attempt. It's a big difference. Um, you know, Frank Frank Reich, his offense, his calling cards, is early down passing, getting, you know, manageable third downs uh, by passing the ball efficiently on early downs. And I think the Colts are going to have to get that, get more out of Wentz on those early down passes. And and part of that is going to be those, those higher, higher efficiency throws, um, higher completion rates. And Wentz is going to have to build that confidence back. And, you know, that 2017 season where he ranked first in QBR, 
his offensive coordinator calling the plays that year, Frank Reich. So, you know, some of the some of the writings on the wall here for Wentz to make a little bit of a comeback. Are we going to see 2017 Wentz or 20, 2020 Wentz? I don't think we're going to see either, honestly. I think we're going to see something in the middle between, like literally the years in between those two years, 2018, 2019, when he was right around league average. And, you know, last year the Colts did pretty darn well with a league average quarterback in Phillip Rivers. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it's something to be asked. But, you know, I, I think Wentz, as long as he, you know, regains a little bit of that confidence, regains uh, a little bit more of that league average status, I think he's going to do all right in Indianapolis. Yeah, and, and I think that having an elite running back in Jonathan Taylor, I think he was either third or fourth in the league in rushing yards last year as a rookie. You know, it's going to take a lot of pressure off when you're able to get some chunk plays on first and second down. So the third downs are much more manageable. Um, you know, additionally, this is going to make the play action a lot more effective. Last yeah. year, the Eagles, uh, Miles Sanders was on and off the field. You know, the pass catchers, Travis Fogel was the thing last year. So hopefully there's just going to be a lot more consistency, safety, and, you know, the ability to have a little bit less pressure for him to, I feel like, analyze the field. And to quote another quarterback, I feel like he was somewhat seeing ghosts last year. And I think that, you know, Sam Donald and Carson Wentz both landing in much better situations to uh, improve this year. Yeah, and play action play action was a major problem for Wentz last year. In 2020, his his efficacy efficacy in play action was it, it fell off really hard. And you know, he was a good play action quarterback his first three years. In 2020, he was 5.8 yards per attempt on a 38% success rate, negative 0.26 EPA per attempt on play action. That's horrendous. In 2018 and 2019, play action, he was 8.4 yards per attempt, 52% success rate, 0.14 EPA per attempt. That's, that's you know, probably right around league average, a little bit better. So hopefully, you know, Frank Wright could help him regain some of that, some of that mojo. I like it. All right. What are your thoughts on this pass catching core? Because that's another big question mark for me on this offense. Um, you know, and it's going to affect, you know, the performance of Wentz. You know, the, this pass catching core lost T.Y. Hilton probably for an extended period of time has a neck problem. Apparently he had the surgery on his neck and immediately felt better. And now it's just kind of a recovery process. But I don't know. What's he like 30, 33, 34 years old has a neck problem. That's never good. A disc issue in his neck. That's just that's never encouraging. So now we're really honestly, I'm not going to be able to count much on him throughout the season. You have a core of Michael Pittman, Zach Pascal, and Paris Campbell. You know, how do you think this is going to shake out? Do you think these guys are going to be able to, you know, hold on the fort for for the Colts this season? I, I love Pittman as, as the breakout candidate amongst those three to, to lead this offense. Uh, I think they're they're a talented young bunch. Pascal's been around the team for you know a few years now, and he's been you know a successful player, um, kind of like a wide receiver three. And, but he's consistent. He's a good pass catcher. Uh, I think they'll be fine. I, it's a young core. So it's tough to predict because a lot of them, they haven't really done it before, but, but in, um, in flashes, you've seen the the skill with Pittman having a couple hundred yard games here or there. Paris Campbell's been off the field a lot dealing with injury his first two years, but, but him as well, you know, they're, they both have high draft pedigree. And I think that they could take the next step, especially if Carson Wentz is able to take the next step. I think their success is going to hinge a lot upon how accurate Carson Wentz is. And if he can get that off target rate from last year in control. Exactly. One guy who I, I definitely like to keep an eye I would like to to keep an eye on during the season is Iowa State product Michael Strawn. Spelled like Strahan, but with a C right in front of the H. Uh he's a 6'5, 226, 226 pound wideout from Iowa State. 
He could be expe- un- it could be an unexpected late season contributor for the Colts. I think he, the guy's built like DK Metcalf runs. I think like a four four some four four forty something in that ballpark, maybe four five. Um, it, it's if he learns how to harness some of that elite physical skill set that he has, he could be uh, like I said a, a pretty good. Uh, late season breakout candidate for them. Uh, someone who I, I know he was actually kind of on, on the fringe of the 53 man roster. He did make it. Um, and he's going to be someone I'm going to keep an eye on. I heard Peter Schrager, the NFL insider um, talk about him and, and just got me pretty jazzed up for him. And I looked into a lot of his peripherals and Strawn is, is he's an impressive individual. He's a big dude. So keep an eye on that guy to, to maybe help uh, raise the ceiling of this receiving core. Yeah, you know, someone, if you see their playing time start to increase throughout the season as they get used to, you know, this new roster. What we said, you know, it's a young group of receivers. None of them are really cemented in their position. So it's certainly a situation where you could see a guy come up off the bench. And if he has a elite physical talent, it could translate to the field. So not a, guy, not a bad guy to have in your watch list for sure. So he's got the same physical stats as me, but he's a little bit quicker. And probably that body fat percentage is a little bit different in terms of the muscle ratio. <laughs> you think? I don't know, Connor. You're looking pretty. You're looking pretty beefy over there. <laughs> I went for a jog this morning. You know, a little five k. It's more than I did. All right. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about the receiving core from a fantasy perspective because last year the the upside wasn't there for the, any of these receivers. Honestly, in the passing game because you know they were led the, in receptions by a running back. Naheem Hines led this team with 63 receptions last year. T.Y. Hilton had the most by any whiteout. He had 56. Not a single Colts player received over 100 targets. T.Y. Hilton led the team with 93. The Colts also targeted their tight ends on 23% of pass attempts. That was 11th in the league. They had a success rate of 59%. That was 9th in the league when targeting tight ends. But they have no more Trey Burton. So there could be a little bit of room for uh, maybe a better season out of Mo Alley-Cox. Who, you know, the some of the there's there's a cult following for this guy, Mo Alley-Cox. The physical stats are the, and the metrics for him are off the charts. Incredible talent Huge. physically. He's so um, if, if Jack Doyle starts to dial back on the workload, Mo Alley-Cox could, you know, experience a breakout season if Wentz is able to get the ball to him efficiently. Uh, but like you said, keep an eye on all those wideouts, specifically Michael Pitton. Um, if if they start to go to the, to those to any of those three guys with any more significant volume, you should see a, a good breakout from anybody who did, they decide to start throwing the ball over a hundred times to this season. I think um, you know all those guys have the talent to be a, a, a more efficient contributor. I just think the offense for the Colts last year specifically was dialed uh, and. Um, schemed up for a guy like Philip Rivers to throw, you know, dump off passes to running backs, mid-tier range passes to tight ends, um, and not as much deep ball and, and, and you know, balls towards the sidelines for uh, the wide receivers stretching the field. Yeah, I mean, Rivers was in the last year of his career, an aging quarterback with, with arm strength that was questionable. So, you know, the average depth of target and you know, the fact that his middle name should be dump off at that point. I mean, in the last few years of his career – you know, Austin Eckler in San Diego was basically his favorite target aside from Keenan Allen and last year, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor caught a ton of passes. So I, I, I highly doubt that Naheem Hines will lead the team in, in targets this year or catches. Yeah. I think honestly though, if I had to guess it, this, this receiving core is hard for me to evaluate. Like I said, pretty highly unknown. I think the the best bet is that it's gonna gonna kind of be another sum of the parts type of season where these guys all, all as a as a group put together a reasonable stat uh, stat line as a as a whole. But I think 
the fact that they're all similarly talented. They're all, um, you know, in that middle range of wide receivers. Um, no one really head and shoulders above the rest. I think we're going to kind of see some of the parts receiving core from Indianapolis this year. And then, you know, the tight ends, I think really the only one with, with a possibly high ceiling is Mo Ali Cox, like I said, but I wouldn't commit wholeheartedly to him. I don't think the Colts are either. Yeah. Um, you know, not a guy you need to roster at this point either. He's not going to be your starting tight end to start the season. Maybe yeah, you keep him on a watch sure. list or the back end of your bench. But only Pitt, has- Pittman, I would love to have on my bench just in case. I think he's the most likely to break out since he's in that second year. And that's typically when we see wide receivers take that next step, especially with the you know fresh eyes at quarterback. But Paris Campbell, essentially, is in his second year based on the amount of games he's played, too. So I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden, oh, no, Paris Campbell, because he was they're both second or third round wide receivers with similar draft pedigree. So, yeah. All right. Colts running backs. I know you're, you're a little bit higher on Jonathan Taylor this season. Really love him. Tell me about Taylor. What do you like about him this season? Because last year, I, let me let me tell you stats really quick: 133 touches, 837 yards, eight touchdowns over those final six games was a league winner for a lot of guys. You think we're going to see early season Jonathan Taylor before this breakout? You know where he finished the six games of the year just on an absolute tear. I think we see more of the second half of last year than the first okay. half of last year. You know, rookie running backs, especially last year was the COVID season. All of them, it took some time to get onto the field you know, get an understanding of the NFL speed. And really once he was accustomed to this offense and he was given that lead back duties, he, he was just incredible. He, like you said, an absolute league winner, but you know, Cam Akers, JK Dobbins, all these guys didn't come on until weeks eight, nine, 10. So I think Jonathan Taylor carries that over this year. I think he's a legitimate first round top 10, possibly top five type of running back. He's a guy I've been targeting um, at the back end of the first round. And because of his skill set as, as a runner, you know, already top five in yards last year as a rookie, um, as a pass catcher, great hands. And then he's a really strong goal line back. They don't, it's not like a situation where they pull, Austin Eckler gets pulled from the goal line duties. He is not. Jonathan Taylor will be their goal line back as well. Frank Reich is already talking about having more of an every down back in Jonathan Taylor in the preseason. So it sounds like they're really ready to hand him the reins. I do have some concern with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines being contributors, but Marlon Mack's coming off of a pretty horrendous injury last year. So it's not like he's going to have a huge workload if they're smart with how they use him. I see him more as just a standard backup. Naheem Hines, I think, is good, but a lot of his early work last year where he did the most damage in terms of fantasy relevance was in the first half of last year where Jonathan Taylor was less of a thing. So I think we saw the transition happen, and I think that trend continues where Taylor's just going to be an absolute fantasy stud and a legitimate running back one. I think it's a reasonable expectation, what you're saying. Um, You know, last year, the Colts running backs had the second most touches in the league on average. They averaged 32.7 touches per game. Their backfield collectively led the NFL in yards from scrimmage per game, 174.9 yards per game. That's incredible. They were sixth in the league with 5.4 yards per touch. Um, Jonathan Taylor reeled off six straight RB1 fantasy finishes to close out the season. Like, that's... That's, you know, the workhorse type of stuff. That wins you leagues. Um, and then, you know, you touched on Naheem Hines. I think you're a little bit right. I, I think, you know, I think he's still going to be heavily involved in the passing the passing efforts for this team. He'll be a third down back possibly, um, especially on third and longs. Mm-hmm. I definitely anticipate him being in there. Um, yeah. 
I think that third and three, third and five range where a lot of teams transition running back to the pass catching back. I think the Colts don't have any issue leaving Jonathan Taylor on the field, though. But you're absolutely right. Like third and ten, it's going to be Naheem Hines. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, 69.6% of Naheem Hines' fantasy points last year became, uh, came via pass-catching efforts. Um, and But even if a, if an injury did come to Jonathan Taylor, I, I wouldn't vault Hines to, like, the bell cow back status, considering, like you said, they still have Marlon Mack. They also have Jordan Wilkins still. Um, so oh, yeah. They, uh, they have a, a pretty deep running back core, and I think that's good for the team. Um, Jonathan Taylor is obviously going to be the lead guy here. And for me, like... I think you're we're, we're picking nits here at this stage of the of this high early in the, in the fancy draft and for me just from a from just the way the the, the team feels it feels like the Colts are going to be trying to implement more pass passing attack this season. Um, I think they're going to try to revitalize Wentz's car, uh, career honestly and his efficiency as a passer. Um, and I think that might bode well for some of the receivers. And I, I think Jonathan Taylor, you know, that 32, 32.7 touches per game last year, second in the NFL, you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect that again this season. I think that we're going to see a little bit less volume out of the running game um, is my guess. You know, Phillip Rivers kind of keeps your ceiling low as an offense. Mm-hmm. And he's an efficient quarterback, safe with the football. Wentz is kind of the opposite. And we'll see how that how that goes for the Colts. I just think the the potential and the physical ability of Carson Wentz raises the ceiling of what the offense might be able to do. I think Frank Reich's going to open up the playbook a little bit and try to gain, um, you know, help Wentz regain that confidence. Like I can continue to say, and and you know, become more of an explosive passer as well. Yeah, if anything, that may lead to more points scored though, which is always good. I like teams, you know, I like players on teams that score a lot of points, so. Even if he loses maybe a little bit of the, the yardage or touches uh, in the middle of the field, if Carson Wentz is getting it between the 20s, you know, Jonathan Taylor should see an uptick in touchdowns then. Certainly. All right, the over-under on this team is nine. Where are you going with this, the Colts? I feel pretty good about the over there. Uh, you know, a team that was was, was 11-5 and five last year, and to me, I do still see Carson Wentz as an improvement over Phillip Rivers. I think it raises their ceiling, probably lowers their floor a little bit. But Phillip Rivers knows how to lose games as well. <laughs> you know, all those years on the Chargers, they found so many ways to lose games. So I don't think that there's going to be any type of large drop off. If anything, I, I think that this team can take another step up. Possibly their their O line is still really good. Their their defense is still strong. That running game is going to be consistent. So if Carson Wentz gets into some early struggles, they can just lean heavily on that running game. And I still think they can be an effective team and pull out plenty of wins. And like we were already talking about, this division is a little bit weaker. So I think nine games is certainly in the cards. For sure. Um, you know, I'm with you there. I think that the nine is a pretty good bet here. Um, and, and really it comes down to me just being a big Frank Reich fan. I think he's an excellent head coach. One of the, in my opinion, probably top six, top seven in the league. Um, you know, oftentimes the coach has a, has a big impact on the first half game script and being able to get out to an early lead. And like I said earlier on the pod, 80% of the time, the team with the lead at the half wins the game. And you look at the most halftime leads over the last three years, these teams aren't surprising you. The Ravens have 34, Chiefs have 31, Saints have 30, Colts have 29, Packers have 28. The Colts 
honestly seem to be the team that doesn't really belong in that bunch considering how elite those other four teams are. But the reason why they're doing such a good job early in games, Frank Reich, man, that guy is so good. He's done it with three different quarterbacks in each of the last three seasons. He had Luck, Brissett, and Rivers each of the last three years, and he's still getting his team to early leads, efficient efficient play calling, really great at game scripting early in games. Uh, and, and getting out to those early leads is, is incredibly important in the NFL. And so... It's just, uh, you know, and then you look at the quarterbacks, sorry, on those other four teams that I mentioned, the Ravens, Chiefs, Saints, and Packers. Who are the quarterbacks on those teams? Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't know about you, but I mean, one year of Andrew Luck is is good, but Brissett and Rivers are not Mahomes, Lamar, Brees, and Rodgers. So, um, And to have to adjust from your 28-year-old expected, you know, career quarterback, yeah. franchise quarterback, to move to Brissett and Rivers year after year, changing your system, adjusting to new quarterbacks, and still producing. Isn't he good? He's amazing, Frank Wright. Amazing. I mean, it, it's incredible what he's been able to accomplish in Indianapolis. And he, he's an excellent head coach, and you could see why they brought him there. Um, just really a solid leader of, of football. Um, Warren Sharp also projects the Colts to face the third easiest schedule of both pass defenses and total defenses. Uh, the defense, however, for the Colts is projected uh, to face a top five schedule of opposing defenses after playing a near league average schedule in each of the last two years. So their their defense is going to have a little bit more cut out for them this season. Um, they do, Colts do start the season with a slew of tough, tough matchups. So if the Colts start off slow, do not get discouraged. They have some really tough opponents in there early on. They're facing this, this, uh, the Seahawks and the Rams at home to start the year. And then they go on the road to face the Titans, the Dolphins, and the Ravens. That's a, that's a tough five-game five uh, set there. Yeah, I think they'll be okay. You know, league of record, Jonathan Taylor's my running back. So all these stats you're throwing out against, you know, bad defenses, how Grady finished the year last year, man, I'm getting excited for the Colts. (laughs) It's, uh, like I said, I think this this team, though, early on, it's going to come down to whether or not Wentz is, he needs to improve a lot off last season. If he has another year like last one, this team is not going to meet that over under win total. I don't care what you, I don't care how good everybody else on the roster is. If once plays like he did in 2020, where he was, you know, almost not even a starting caliber quarterback last year. Um, yeah, I, repl- I just, yeah. Replaced mid year by Jalen hurts. Yeah. And for good reason, he was that bad easily. And, and I think it's unlikely we see that. And I think it's also unlikely we see that first rookie, rookie breakout campaign. Like I said, I think we're going to see something in the middle between 2018 and 2019 league average quarterback. And you know, it, league average is going to be just okay for the, for the Colts. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into the Jacksonville Jaguars. Last year, they were one and 15. Ooh, a doozy of a year last year, six and a half over under win total for the Jags coming to the season. They are plus 600 to win the, win this division. It's a, uh, you know, they're projecting a pretty significant bump up for the Jags this year. The buzz of Urban Meyer coming in, out of, coming from Ohio State, leaving college. Uh, the number one overall pick, uh, Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence comes in. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see the start of this new era because Myers is likely to be given a pretty long leash here as the head coach in Jacksonville. He's almost inevitably, if he, as long as he wants to stay, he's going to be there for the longevity of Lawrence's rookie contract. And how is this first year of the uh, the Myers Lawrence you know experience going to look like? What do you think, Connor? Yeah, I think this is uh, the team with the largest jump in expected win total year them, over year. One to five the, and a half. It's it. I think they're either they're definitely at least tied for first. I know the 49ers were right there with them. I don't right. remember. I don't remember which one had higher. I think it might have been a tie, or Jacksonville might be like half a game more. 
Yeah. And it makes sense, you know, but I don't necessarily think Gardner Minshew is that bad of a quarterback. So, Oh, he wasn't. I have the stats to show you. That's why I want to, I want to talk about Minshew because so it'll Minshew, be interesting. I, I mean, that's him. It's a big jump in win total. I don't think this defense is markedly improved. I do like their offense. I do like their pass catching weapons. You know, DJ Chark, Marvin Jones Jr., LaVisca Chenault, Trevor Lawrence is good. But the thing is, can they pass block for him? Um, Or is he going to be running around like, like Joe Burrow was last year, hoping not to get devoured by defenses? I think I like their potential as an offense, but I don't like their potential as like a high win total team. Yeah, I, look, this team's going to be fun to watch. And, yeah. I, and the, the win total is pretty high, and that's pretty tough to jump five and a half. I mean, you're going to need six extra wins this season for for the Jags to beat this win total. That's a lot to ask for. But you look at the track record of, of a new head coach coming out of college and a rookie quarterback who was drafted first overall, it's actually pretty encouraging. Uh, you're, you're one examples of coaches coming from uh, college has been overall positive just from the coaching standpoint. The last seven head coaches to make the jump from college to the pros improved their team's win total by an average of nearly four wins the next season. And three of the seven teams made the playoffs in their first year of those coaches that made that jump. So, you know, the, the track record for a coach coming out of college, especially one with the pedigree like Urban Meyer, pretty solid. The uh, the other there's also since 2010 there have been three other teams that have a new coach and the number one overall pick for a quarterback at the same time. That's the 2019 Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, the 2020 the 2012 Colts with Chuck Pagano and Andrew Luck, and the 2011 Panthers with Ron Rivera and Cam Newton. So Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence are going to be the fourth of this bunch over the last 11 seasons. You know. It's a it's a mixed bag, you know. Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury weren't necessarily successful, but Pagano and Luck and Rivera and Newton were were certainly you know pretty successful in their own rights. So um, I think we're going to see something similar to that. Honestly, I, I, honestly, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was the most heralded top pick since Andrew Luck, and yep. in his first season with with the Colts, Luck led them to an eleven and five campaign off of the heels of a two and fourteen record that earned them the top pick to get him. So since 2000, there have been 10 quarterbacks selected number one overall who then started at least 10 games in the rookie season. The average win percentage for the rookie year of those top those top pick quarterbacks was 30%, which equates to 6.6 wins in this 17-game season. So that's right at that win total there, a little bit over, 0.1 wins over, obviously. Uh, and, and Trevor Lawrence isn't just any plain old top top pick quarterback he's like i said the top guy since andrew luck i think the track record's there to suggest that you know as long as things don't go awry as things as long as things don't go get chaotic for jacksonville they we should be able to anticipate this kind of this kind of jump for them yeah it's interesting do you do you think trevor lawrence is probably the favorite for rookie of the year based on that draft position the fact that he's gonna start do you think it's he will win rookie of the year I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason to bet against him. He has yeah. an excellent running back. He has three excellent receivers. He has a reason. He has the, t- you know, the uh, the offensive line for Jacksonville is the highest paid offensive line in the league this year. Wow. Yeah, and, and <laughs> it's kind of. I'll give you the stat on that. I mean, the they're the 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 highest paid offensive line in the league, but they ranked last year twenty fifth and twenty nine, twenty uh, fifth and. Uh, pass block win rate and nineteenth tw- in run block win rate. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember them being yeah. that that much of and, a stronghold. And they, uh, th- I think they brought all five of them back. So the the second most expensive offensive line in the league is the Cleveland Browns, and last year the Browns ranked first in both pass and run blocking. So yeah, the Browns are 
sick. <laughs> yeah. So the, look, Cam uh, tackles Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor are are both young and could help this unit improve significantly if they make a jump in their second years. Or I think it's it's their third year for Jawan. I can't remember. Um, but the fact of the matter is like that. All things considered, the financial capital that they're investing in that bunch, Jacksonville has invested in that unit. I mean, they they need to get more out of, out of the offensive line and. Yeah. Considering, you know, Trevor Lawrence's health and his development as a passer is this team's number one priority. It's understandable that you would have the most expensive offensive line, but was that money spent efficiently and on the right guys? We'll have to see because last year the results weren't there and it could be for a myriad of reasons. You know, there was so many things that went wrong for Jacksonville and it seemed like they were content with tanking to try to get their guy in Lawrence. And so... This is going to be the year that the offensive line needs to step up, protect their their biggest asset as a franchise. Uh, they're going to need some improvement on that end of, uh, on that side of the football. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I wonder how much of an impact win total plays into rookie of the year. You know, obviously it's very important for an MVP to have a, a very good or almost elite team in terms of the win total. Usually, eleven or twelve wins uh, follows with the MVP award. I think it's obviously less so with the rookie of the year award. You know, if you consider Justin Herbert won it last year, I think that team was seven and nine. But I, I really like a guy who was just named starter for your team, Mac Jones, mm-hmm. to be my favorite for rookie of the year because I think he's all of a sudden sitting in in the driver's seat of a BMW. You know, the team around him is so solid. And I think that, you know, better weapons, I think that team probably pushes for nine, 10, 11 wins. So just personally, I think that he might be my favorite for rookie of the year, but again, I'm wondering how much of a thing it is when rookie of the year. I, I'm not sure if it's as important as the MVP. Yeah, you know, look, Mac Jones is, is in an ideal environment, and that's definitely the biggest uh, plus for that argument. But I think talent-wise, nobody's going to argue that Mac Jones is a more talented quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but you're right, and you know, prop Lawrence is probably yeah. the favorite in gambling circles. Probably get the probably get the worst odds on him. So if you want a value pick, Mac Jones is de- certainly not a bad guy to 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 take a flyer on for that for that award. Um, look, last year it it was a a mixed bag last year, and you know, no no team like no players and coaches want to go one and fifteen. You look at everybody that was involved in the day to day operations for the Jags last year. GM Doug uh, David Caldwell fired and working for the Eagles in their player personnel department. Now, head coach Doug Marone fired, and now the offensive line coach for Alabama. Offensive coordinator uh, Jake Gruden he's now unemployed. Defensive coordinator Todd Walsh fired. Now the defensive line coach for the Detroit Lions. Quarterback Garner Minshew. He's had enough success to, in his career, the stats suggest Gardner Minshew is at least a league average quarterback, especially considering all the difficult hurdles he had to overcome that we just glossed right over because he wasn't a high high pedigree draft pick. But he's easily a starting quarterback caliber-wise. The stats show. And he's now been dealt to the Eagles and is going to be their backup. He doesn't have a starting gig. And he deserves one based on the way he performed in his first two years. They were highly encouraging stats coming from all just... You look, you look at what he had to overcome. He worked under two new head coaches and play callers in his each of his first two seasons. And last year, he improved a lot from 2019. And, and he only he only played nine games. I know eight starts. But look, he had to learn Jay Gruden's offensive scheme via Zoom meetings and practically no training camp last season. And he he made some big adjustments uh, from 2019 to 2020. And 
really the Jacksonville franchise and the the, the, the individuals, the head coaches that were involved in the offensive schematics and the offensive play calling and just setting setting up your the quarterback for the success, they are significantly the main ones to blame for the reason why Minshew is still not um, the starting quarterback there and why he's not you know getting a starting gig now because Minshew's stats show he was a well above average quarterback right at the worst league average quarterback last year and he was he, it's just it, it i just i just like Minshew. they gave him up for barely nothing too it was like a, a six round conditional pick like holy crap if you're like the texans or something why wouldn't you take a flyer on this guy instead of right? like tyrod taylor yeah it's it's like this the the coaching staff in 2020 either didn't look at the game tape for 20 from 2019 or just didn't care because <laughs> they like all the all the splits on Minshew like that he's highly efficient on early down passing but then they go and they run the ball uh primarily on early downs and they ran the ball the eighth most in the NFL on first downs during the first three quarters and that's when Minshew thrives and right when they ran the ball they had a 47 per six 47 percent success rate 4.2 yards per carry negative 0.2 uh 0.02 EPA per attempt. Uh, and then they're even more egregious when you look at just the first quarter. The Jags ran the ball 69% of the time on first downs ranking behind only Baltimore and New England, who, by the way, have Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton, who Patriots did have Cam Newton. They had running quarterbacks where their offenses were designed to run the ball. Minshew mm-hmm. on first down passes in the first quarter, by the way, 56% success rate, 8.9 yards per attempt. 0.24 EPA per attempt. Highly efficient stats. Over the last two seasons, Minshew was much more effective also on play action. Yet, the Jaguars used play action at the second lowest rate in the NFL. In 2020, the Jaguars, uh, with play action, their stats were 8.8 yards per attempt, a 58% success rate on a 0.2 EPA per attempt. Without play action, pay at p- uh, passes for Minshew, 6.3 yards per attempt, 49% success rate, 0.02 EPA per attempt. Why are the Jaguars just ignoring these types of things? Like, you know, the, in 2020, the 40 quarterbacks that threw at least 50 first down passes, Minshew had thir- uh, 132 attempts. He ranked eighth in EPA per attempt. Minshew's on target rate when under pressure improved from 2019. He, he had a 56% uh on target rate in 2019 and 2020 he was 68%. That's a that's a 12% increase in in pressure rating. Minshew also was solid when being blitzed, delivering passes on target 76% of the time, earning a 0.22 EPA per attempt. That's excellent. You know, the guy has all these plethora of stats that show you why he deserves a starting gig and the Jaguars just did this guy no justice. He was dealt a tough hand, made the most out of it, and didn't get the reward. I would love to see Minshew back starting under center for another team at some point in the near future. Do you think he can challenge for that position in in Philly? Oh, I I would have Jalen Hurts' leash pretty damn short this season. Wow. I would. Minshew's that good. I think Minshew's a better passer easily than Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this long, this far along in the offseason, the Eagles are certainly scheming up to have an offense that bodes well for the strengths of Jalen Hurts. You know, running the football as a quarterback, creating, you know, a lot of pre-snap motions, those types of things. Um, but Minshew probably raises your ceiling as, as an offense because he's able to stretch a field a lot better, a lot more accurate passer. If you have an offense scheme to the strengths of a guy like Gardner or Minshew, I think the ceiling's a lot higher than a guy like Jalen Hurts. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
And look, if Trevor Lawrence can be like just as good or, or, or better at, at as Minshew was last year or the last two seasons, the Jaguars are going to get uh, they're going to be a lot better because they're going to be embracing a guy like Trevor Lawrence with that kind of draft pedigree. And they're going to need to get the Jaguars are going to need to get better play calling, better offensive schemes. They if they experience those types of things, they should have an improved season because you, you look at who's going to be calling plays for the Jaguars. Daryl Bevel coming from Detroit. He's their new offensive coordinator. Bevel has an excellent track record for early game scripts. And I talked about with the Colts how important the early game scripts can be. Bevel had an excellent track record for first quarter game scripts leading coming out to big leads for Detroit. But then the, the offenses declined in efficacy as the game went on. So... Bevel's going to have to make some better adjustments as the game goes on. But, you know, part of that's on the players. You know, the players get tired. The players, you know, stop making the right adjustments, stop, you know, executing game plans. That kind of thing happens as the game goes on to more more likely is the, the, the typical outcome there. Connor, how are you feeling about the defense for the Jags? They were ranked 31st in DVOA last year, 31st against the pass, 24th against the run. How is, does Jacksonville plan, plan on improving on that side of the football this year? Because if the offense is a little bit better, is a little bit more improved, which we hope, the defense is going to have to pick up some of the slack as well to try to get to the six and a half win total. <laughs> I don't know how this defense is going to fare. I feel like last year, you know, it was a case of they didn't want to win, so they they were kind of fine. I think they take a small step forward, but I think that this defense is going to be the reason that Trevor Lawrence puts up pretty big stats this year and has to throw the ball early and often. Um, I don't think they're good. They're markedly improved. They kind of cleared house a couple years ago and they didn't really add much. They brought in Shaq Griffin, I think. That was like their offseason signing. Shaquille Griffin, Rayshon Jenkins, and Roy Robertson Harris all received pretty healthy contracts in free agency for the defensive side of the football for the Jags. It's it, look. This this offense is going to have six new starters on defense. In all likelihood, they have a new defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen, who was the, the he was the defensive line coach for the Ravens last year. Um, look, Griffin and Jenkins, like these these free agent signings they made, they paid these guys a lot of money. They haven't necessarily put it all together in their careers. Did they really earn this contract? You know, it's possible that Jags had to overpay for the guys because last year was just so horrendous for them. Right. And Wants to join a one in fifteen team. Right. So they're going to have to, you know, get some improvement out of the guys, those guys like that. They brought in these guys that paid them a lot of money. They're going to have to they're going to have to put up their performance. And if Cullen brings in that Ravens influence with him, expect the Jags to be a, a blitz heavy defense, plays a lot of man coverage, uh, which, you know, will probably pr- pr- uh, place a lot of responsibility and importance on these new quarterbacks. Griffin, C.J. Henderson and Tyson Campbell are going to be the starting quarterbacks for the Jags. Uh, you know, these guys are going to have to have big seasons if their defense is going to improve that upon, upon that 31st defensive DV, uh, the DVOA ranking last year. That was horrendous. Um, I don't know. I, I just a lot of unknowns with this unit. It's tough to evaluate how they're going to be, but ranking 31st, almost sec- second. They were second to last in defense last year. You know, you'd like to think the only only could go up from there. So <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. I mean, if you had to bet, they get a little bit better, but I still don't. They're you know, nothing they did gives me confidence they're going to be a good defense next year. Yeah. All right. So you look at the fantasy football picture for this team. The most fa- the most valuable fantasy asset for the Jags, especially after that Travis Etienne, Liz Frank injury, he's out for the year. Leaves James Robinson to to lead this backfield heading into his sophomore season as an undrafted rookie running back who was one of the NFL's biggest surprises last year. He had 1,414 total yards on 289 touches, 10 touchdowns in the 14 games he played last year. So where are you at with James Robinson? 
like him. I think he's a back end RB two. You know, they brought in Carlos Hyde, who did he previously play for Urban Meyer at Ohio State? Mm, I don't know. I don't remember. Urban might not have been there yet, but you know, I think Hyde will get some work. Obviously, they were obviously planning a, a huge role for Etienne. That's why they drafted him in the first round. So it shows me that this coaching staff didn't necessarily have the most confidence in James Robinson, even after his breakout rookie season. When they, you know, when you consider they drafted a first round running back, um, so I'm curious to see his utilization rates. I don't think he's yeah. going to be as widely utilized as last year, where he 85. kind of. Did- 85.8% of the backfield touches went to Robinson last year. That's, that's, that's a workload. complete workhorse. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you you know, you, you have to think that comes down. And so I think we see a little bit of a regression. But I think he'll still be a solid RB2 for your yeah. fantasy team. I mean, considering Robinson was undrafted, considering that this coaching staff wasn't there last year, they didn't see in person how excellent he was. I know they, they're probably seen in camp. He's probably impressed. He's probably, you know, proven that he's a great running back in his own right. But... Those those are facts. Like the, this team didn't didn't bring him aboard. They didn't sign him. They didn't. Nobody drafted him. Like there's not a lot invested in James Robinson. So right. I, I think you're right. I think that 85.8 percent. It's not hard to see how that would still decrease. And, and Robinson's still going to be a valuable at fantasy asset, in my opinion. Like you said, probably I'm most comfortable with him being a lower end RB two. You know. And he's probably being drafted as like a mid tier RB two to upper tier RB two. And you know the potential for that is there. He's finished in the top 10. I think it was RB7 last year in fantasy, playing just 13 games. Pretty solid. But, you know, Carlos Hyde's going to bite into that that third down roll, the, the red zone work for Robinson. That's going to cut down in some of that fantasy cap for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where are you at with the receivers on this team? It's a it's a it's a trio of of you know receivers you know evaluated in a similar talent range. You got DJ Chark, Lavisca Chenault, Marvin Jones Jr. I know Chark Chark's your guy. So tell Chark me why is you my DJ. guy. Why why are you so high on DJ Chark this year? What do you love so much about him? I you know he's a player who's already eclipsed that thousand yard mark previously in his career. He was a for a, like an eight or nine week stretch, he was a top five wide receiver. He's got second round draft pedigree. You know, an LSU wide receiver who they just continually turn out top players in the league, and he's six foot four, six foot five. He runs a four four forty, so he's got all the make and the build of a true number one wide receiver in this league. And you know, you talk about his stats over the past couple of years; he's continually succeeded despite poor quarterback play. I know you talked about how Gardner Minshew was a solid quarterback. Well, that was two years ago, and Shark had that was when he had his best season. Last year, they had a mix of different guys coming on and off the field, Jake Luton and all these different guys, and yet he still was able to put up, you know, maybe like 800 yards and five or six touchdowns. I think we see him now that he's hopefully healthy. He had a um, a finger fracture in the preseason, but not something to be concerned about for the long term. Uh, last year he also dealt with leg injuries so i think this year if he's if his legs are healthy and with the possibly the most skilled quarterback since andrew luck as a draft prospect as his qb and again a bad defense i think he should lead this team in in yards and touchdowns and i think and he's coming at a very low draft cost very low draft cost i feel you in a lot of this stuff with chark but the thing with chark is i think what caps his upside is the fact that LaVisca Chanel and Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones Jr. are are very good in their own right. They're this is a tough trio of receivers to, to uh, map out how this workload is going to be distributed amongst these three guys because 
Chark last year, I know, and I can't, I can't ding him too much on the 2020 stats because he did decline uh, all across the board in 2020 compared to 2019. And he, after the 2019 campaign when he broke out, he seemed poised for you could uh, the continued progression in his development, continued to improve. And then 2020 was pretty pretty big letdown. He his receptions per game dipped to 4.1. Yardage per game, 54.3. Overall touchdowns, had he had five touchdowns last year. All declines from 2019. Um, and it's definitely, you know, most of that is because of the fact that the offense last year was just horrendous across the board for Jacksonville. And so I, I wouldn't anticipate those all being continued continue to decline. Um, but the, th- the, the, the fact is that Chenault has another year of development. He's he's going to be better in a sophomore year than his, his freshman year in all likelihood. Marvin Jones Jr. is a red zone hog. He has nine receiving touchdowns in three of his last four seasons, and he's reunited with Darren Bevel from Detroit. Uh, he already has that familiarity with the offensive coordinator, someone who already knows how uh, efficient and and helpful uh, he Marvin Jones is helpful for a quarterback, and Bevel knows that. Um, and you know, he, he played all 16 games last year, Marvin Jones Jr. for the first time since 2017. So he's healthiest he's ever been coming into the off season. I mean, coming to the week one matchup for the Jags. Uh, look, I like Chark. I like, you I like Marvin Jones Jr. And that's, what's tough about it. You know, I, I, it's really hard for me to project how the workload's going to be distributed amongst these three guys. And that's why I've been staying away from them in fantasy drafts, because I think it could go any, any which way. I think this, this, this receiving core along with the the Bengals is one of the toughest to project how the target share is going to go because all three of these guys especially with the Bengals as well just they they all seem to be ranked it, 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 they could they could, it could go in any order it could yeah. be it could be Chark Chenault Marvin Jones it could be Marvin Jones Jr Chark Chenault it could be Chenault Chark Mar- like it, it it doesn't it could go any which way and I want to see some of it before I, I make any any guesses on what's what's it going to look like. But I like your I like your points with Shark. I think he might have the highest ceiling. Um, but the fact of the matter is, all three of these guys are pretty talented, and I think that just bodes well for Trevor Lawrence. If, if yeah, anything. agreed. And the the thing with them though is, and why I'm not a stay away is just because the draft cost is so low. Good. So you're you're adding these guys in the ninth, tenth, eleventh round of your fantasy draft. So you're buying them for four or five dollars. So if you want to take a flyer on a team with a lot of upside, you know, a bad defense, a team that's going to throw a lot and has a, a decent quarterback, you know, any one of these guys makes for a reasonable stash. You can, you know, see two or three weeks. Okay. You know, I drafted Marvin Jones. It really seems like it's Chark and LaVisca. Well, you only spent $3 on him. So go ahead and drop him. It's not a big deal. But if it does turn out that, okay, Trevor Lawrence is throwing for 350 yards a game and for, you know, he just, having to chuck the ball around because this defense didn't make any improvements, And I happened to hit on one of these guys, you know, then all of a sudden you have a flexor wide receiver, two, three worthy player with a lot of upside, both LaVisca and, and Chark being very young receivers with a lot of potential. And then Marvin Jones, who's a, you know, a guy who's, who's done it before. Yeah. All right. The overall win total six and a half. It comes down to this, Connor, where are you going with that six and a half win total? Uh, I'm going to go under. I think it's it's too large of a year-over-year improvement with mm-hmm. too little change in terms of this overall team's makeup. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I want to I, I want to play devil's advocate. I think that the the young talent and the prospect of this team is exciting. Um, I, I think that over a seven-win season is definitely not out of the cards for them, especially with the extra game on the schedule this year. The Jaguars 
had the fourth easiest schedule coming to the season based on opponent win totals. They spent a lot of money in free agency to try to improve that defense. And while you know I ding them for possibly spending too much on some guys that weren't great values, it's not going to be hard to see them improve on that thirty that thirty first defensive DVOA finish last year. So I think that they can only go up from there. They finished one hundred and six. Uh, sorry, they finished one and six in one score games last year. As a 14% win percentage of the 12 teams that have finished with one score win percentage below 20% since 2016. So the teams that are not doing well in over the last five seasons in one score games, they on, on aggregate on aggregate the next season they won 41% of their one score games the next season. So because of that poor that poor close win percentage, the Jaguars Pythagorean win expectation above actual wins last year was second lowest in the NFL, negative two point seven. The Pythagorean win expectation for teams, I could kind of explain. That Throwing up some fancy words here, Ben. This is that no. that Holy Cross education right now. Let's let's hear a little bit of an explanation on this. So it's basically just a, it actually originated in baseball. Bill James created this formula for different stats and how they could explain how what your team what your team should be expected to win and in football the pythagorean ex- expectation formula is like points for uh to the 22.37 degree divided by like points for to plus points against to the 2.7 degree it's like it's a complicated formula but it, it multiplied by by the number of games in a season and it kind of gives you an idea of uh how how many wins to expect from that team um, just based on the points you're you're scoring, the points you're against you, um, and typically we they find that when a team has uh, less wins than expectation, the next season they tend to improve, and when they have more than expected, then they tend to uh, decline the next year. So it 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 it's been used across the board in baseball and basketball. Daryl Morey with the Rockets really used it in a lot of his basketball stuff, um, and. It's uh, it's been kind of just like a decent predictor, and the Jaguars. I mean, negative two point seven last year uh, in, com- in in comparison to that Pythagorean win win expectation. It's a pretty significant difference. That's the reason why I brought it up because uh, they were not as good as they should have been last year, and the fact of that is probably because they wanted to get Trevor Lawrence and they got their guy. And we're gonna see how that turns out this year. I, I look five and a half win increase is tough, but. You know, really, it, it, in, when you compare it to the extra, when you give the extra game, it's like a five, five extra five wins on the year, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the track the track record for a number one overall quarterback and the new head coach from from college, I told you about that. It's pretty encouraging for me as well. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be optimistic for the Jags this year. I think over six and a half is is definitely a possibility. Yeah. So basically, if you were to take that Pythagorean expected win total. It should have been two and a half games higher from last essentially, year. Essentially, yeah. okay. So, so you're realistically saying that if all things being equal, that season were to play out exactly again, they most likely would have had three to four wins, and therefore this six and a half game line jump isn't really as high as what it seems. And so, can Trevor Lawrence account for three games better? He doesn't need to account for five and a half if you just did it based on this expected win total of last year rather than their actual win total. And that makes sense. That's a good logical argument. I, and again, I just, I'm hesitant. There's a lot of unknowns. I, I want to see it. I want to see it first. Yeah. No, it's easier to be pessimistic on this team. There's so many unknowns and I don't blame you for that. I think the under is probably the more popular pick. I just yeah. Think- Fantasy wise. I like their offense. NFL yeah. performance wise, gambling wise, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious, but your argument's solid. 
All right, let's go to the Tennessee Titans. Last year, they were 11 and 5. The over-under win total is 9 for the Titans. They are the favorites to win this division. They are minus 110. The key adds, you know, Bud Dupree on the edge rush, coming off the ACL injury with the with the with the Steelers last year. Julio Jones is a big one for me. Love the addition to him uh, in this wide receiver core. Jonas Jenkins at cornerback. Key losses, you know, they lost Dory Jackson, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, Desmond King, Jadavian Clowney, Johnny Smith, a plethora of some pretty big name guys. Wow. So a lot of roster turnover turnover for the Titans, but more or less on the tertiary support positions. Um, and the key loss for them was the off the offensive coordinator, Ar- Arthur Smith, now the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. How is the Titans offense going to balance out after that loss of the Ar- Arthur Smith, who was excellent for them over the last few years? Uh, wide receivers Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys really bite into that wide receiver depth. Uh, tight end Johnny Smith, he's no longer there in New England now. Uh, but the additions of Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, I think should definitely boost this wide receiver team. And the offense for the Titans has been excellent over the last few years. And so, really, we're going to have to see how this this balances out. They now brought in t- uh, Todd Downings, and uh, the offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. And last time he was calling plays for an offense was the 2017 Raiders. He had Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, Cordell, uh, Cordero Patterson, Jared Cook, Marshawn Lynch, and Derek Carr. Pretty pretty wide load of offensive weapons and then the, the Raiders went one and eight against teams with average to above average pass defense and car average 6.3 yards per attempt on a 41% success rate during those games. Not great for, for uh, Downing's, you know, history of play calling in Oakland there. Um, he comes into Tennessee and he picks up an offense that is more talented, has more <laughs> weapons, has a quarterback that's hitting his peak of his prime right now. And the Titans are since since Tannehill took over in weeks in week six of 2019, Titans now are 18 and 8, 69% win percentage. That's the sixth best win rate in the NFL behind only the Chiefs, Ravens, Packers, Saints, and Bills. They've averaged 22.7 first downs per game. That's the fifth most in the NFL since uh Tannehill took over behind the Chiefs, Cowboys, Falcons, and Saints. They've also averaged 30.6 points per game under Tannehill. That's the third best mark in the NFL behind only the Ravens and Saints. They've averaged 165 yards r- rushing yards per game, the second most in the NFL behind the Ravens. They've averaged 0.93 points per minute. That's the most in the NFL. Connor, that's higher than the Chiefs. Wow. The Chiefs are second. I like oh, that we not- got that points per minute stat. That's great. Right? That's that that's that extra level of work you're gonna get from the Ben Perez right there <laughs> and the Vicious Talk podcast people. That's that's what that's what you pay money for. We're giving this to you for free right there. <laughs> what are your thoughts here in Tennessee? Because the offense has some changes and are are they gonna be able to keep it up? Because that's their that's been their calling card because the defense hasn't been there. And the offense is what's going to fuel this team's success and what's going to enable them to reach that win total of nine. Are you, uh, are you optimistic for the offense to keep it rolling in 2021? I would say yes, for sure. Um, you know, you, you talk about some of the key losses, Corey Davis, who had around 900 yards last year, yeah, was, was definitely a, a strong point. Um, John Smith, but when you replace Corey Davis with, Julio Jones, you know, a guy over the last decade who's, you know, a top three wide receiver, um, arguably the number one. 
I, I don't see how you can't consider it a step up if he's healthy. The key is if he's healthy. Uh, and then Ferkser to me is, is, a, is a fine replacement for Johnny Smith. You know, a guy who's been in that offense and he's performed decently well as a tight end. You know, John who's been on and off the field himself. You know, th- one of the biggest losses is obviously our boy Khalif Raymond, former uh, yeah. Holy Cross alumni. Uh, so Detroit. we're rooting for him and his new team, but. Yeah, they, I mean, I think this Tennessee Titans offense, they still have Derrick Henry, who rushed for 2,000 yards last year and could push for the NFL rushing did record you, this season. So, Did you realize how excellent Henry got after Tannehill took over? He went from like an average running back to historic. Did you know yeah. that? Because before Tannehill took over, just in 2019, those first six weeks, Henry was averaging 3.7 yards per carry. He had four rushing touchdowns. He was averaging 69 rushing yards per game. And then Tannehill takes over. He starts averaging 5.9 yards per carry, 12 rushing touchdowns over the, over the rest of the season, had 125 rushing yards per game. That is excellent, excellent stuff. It makes a lot of sense when you consider Marcus Mariota's skill set versus Tannehill's. You know, mm-hmm. Mariota was a lot more effective with his legs, and so you know these teams are playing up against the line. They're not worried about the pass over the top. Um, Tannehill is able to much more easily stretch the field. You know, A.J. Brown is the king of the deep pass now. Um, and then, obviously, Julio, too. So, it's not like teams are going to be all of a sudden able to stack the box against the Titans when you have just two top 10 elite wide receivers on the outside who are just so capable of stretching the field. I mean, this trio of pass catchers and running back has to be, if not the best in the league, right there. And when you consider the top two wide receivers and running back, it's incredible. Yeah. Really... It's um, it's a question of if the offensive scheme is going to change much. And, you know, it's been working for them. You know, Derrick Henry, honestly, he, he runs into stacked boxes more than almost anybody else in the NFL. Last year, he ran into stacked boxes, I think, 35.6% of the time. That's fourth most in the league. Um, and he still has good, efficient numbers when he runs in the stack boxes. It doesn't matter. The guy's just a phenom. But the the health of Derrick Henry is going to be the big question because you look at just the workload, the wear and tear that he's been developing. And it's funny because fantasy fantasy members, fantasy owners, continue to like just get worried about like holding the bag with Derrick Henry when it inevitably falls off at some point. Because over the last two seasons, he's had six hundred and eighty one carries. <laughs> it's a lot of carries. He had 215 rushes the year before that. It's it's been a historic run of work for Derrick Henry, and the, you know my guess is that we probably see a decline in 378, and that's not hard to imagine. That's a lot of carries, uh, but it doesn't even need to be that. It doesn't like I, I don't think with the addition of Julio Jones, I think that the the workload can be lifted off of Derrick Henry a little bit more because with Julio Jones regardless of whether or not he's another efficient, he continues to be an efficient wide receiver, which I think he will be. But even if he's not like the, the, you know, stereotypical vintage Julio Jones that we all, we've all come to know. Yeah. Like, if he doesn't go for 1600 yards, that's okay. If he goes for 1100, he'll still be, he's going to spread the defenses thinner. Because yeah. I told you about how much Derrick Henry is running to stack boxes. When you have Julio Jones and AJ Brown on the outsides, how can you justify stacking eight men in the box when you have those elite wide receiver options on the outsides? Because if they start to stack boxes, Julio Jones and AJ Brown are going to pick defenses apart. The secondary will not be able to keep up with them on one-on-one coverages. Oh, and yeah. you, people love to knock Julio on his health, 
in his throughout his career. But the fact of the matter is he's delivered 13 or more starts in eight of his 10 seasons in Atlanta. And he, last year, he had the most receiving yards in the end. Oh, sorry. And throughout the last decade, sorry. Throughout the last decade, Julio has the most receiving yards in the NFL and the most yards per game in the history of the league. <laughs> per game, 95 and a half receiving yards per game, the most in the history of the league. He's one of the best receivers ever. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer, bona fide Hall of Famer. Um, and last year in the nine games that he played, he you know he only played nine games last year. I think he's, he's, uh, he had to leave, I think, too early. But mm-hmm. He turned in his highest yards per catch total last year over the last three seasons. Uh, over the last three seasons, so it was his best since 2018, 2017. Uh, he had a 75 percent catch rate, 11.3 yards per target, highest marks of his career. He was the wide receiver of 14 in fantasy points per game, 16.2. He had the seven. He had in the seven full games that he played. He like I said, he left too early. He finished lower. He didn't finish lower than 26 wide receiver 26, uh, just one time. And he averaged 100 yards receiving and 19 uh, points per game in PPR formats when in the seven games that he, he played the full game for. So if he's in the lineup, which is what you need for Tennessee, he's going to be a difference maker. I don't care, you know, what kind of role he has. I don't, I don't care where you line him up. He's Julio Jones. He, I know he's 32 years old. He's still the, one of the best receivers ever to play on the football field. And he hasn't also been a part of an offense with such a successful rushing attack since 2016. The Falcons ranked fourth in rushing efficiency in 2016. And in that season, Julio averaged 17 yards per reception. That was the highest mark of his career since his rookie season at the time. So with Derrick Henry, with Julio Jones, with A.J. Brown, that many just wide range of weapons and explosive options this offense has. They, the coaching staff's job is to just not muck it up. Not mess it up. <laughs> That's really just keep the arrows straight for this team because things are going right for Tennessee on the offensive side of the football, and they just got to keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely love their potential this year. And it's, 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 it's impressive what they've been able to accomplish over the last couple of seasons under Tannehill. And, you know, this offense is, is most likely set up to be another top five in the league again. And if if they, you know, last year, I think they were third in efficiency. If the offensive declines to like fifth or sixth in the league, which there, I mean, isn't unheard of, you know, this just nature of, of regression and, and randomness, this, this offense could decline, especially with a new offensive coordinator. Um, but if it declines at all, is the defense going to be able to improve enough to pick up any of that slack? Because the Titans last year, it, the defense was the biggest question mark. They had one of the worst defenses in the NFL. They finished 28th in EPA and 29th in DVOA. The main additions to their defense during the offseason was adding, like I said, Bud Dupree, who was coming off that ACL tear in Week 12 against the uh, Ravens for the for the uh, for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. And last year, the defensive coordinator for the Titans didn't exist. They didn't have one. Did you know that they didn't have a defensive coordinator last year? They had some experiment where they were trying to do a collaborative effort. Well, Brable's the head coach, so yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, but he's basically a D coordinator as head coach. Yeah, the story was that Shane Bowden, the linebackers coach, though, was leading all the meetings, leading the walkthroughs, called the defensive play calls. That's wild. I did yeah. not know that. During the offseason, the team officially named Shane Bowen the defensive coordinator, and the players apparently supported the decision. 
So, you know, being able to unite behind one guy, having a definitive leadership role, um, I, I, you know, I think things can just get, I, I, I'm optimistic for the, the defense to get a little bit better because it's not hard to see why they struggled last year, considering all the limited practice time they had, considering that the fact that they didn't have definitive leadership, the fact that they were clearly outmanned and outgunned in defensive schemes and talent. And I think things are definitely going to have to get better on that side of the football for the Titans to continue this, uh, you know, this sustained success they've had over the last few years. Yeah, and I think it's it's likely to happen, you know, when you have a defensive-minded head coach and, you know, a, a crew that's largely unchanged and, and slightly improving, in my opinion. So, you know, this team loves to run the ball, which is which is great for a defense. It keeps them fresh. It keeps them on the, on the field less often because the offense is, is chugging away and, and on time of possession. So I, I think they'll be okay on defense. I don't think this is going to be – you know, a it's top not, five defense in the league, but they'll be average. average to a, yeah. It's not even league average, but they just need to be like 20 to 25th, and this team's going to have an extra And it, it, if they happen to make a step and become league average with how efficient their offense is, this could be a fantastic team, even if the defense is just average. Yeah, definitely. With the addition of Julio Jones, I just think it can't be understated how, how much – Tennessee has available to them in their offensive game planning because we talked about Derrick Henry's extensive workload with Julio added to the added to the roster now are we going to see more passing volume because I think it would be helpful for them to you know start to take off some of the some of the load off Derrick Henry's shoulders because he's really gathering up some historic rushing rates and I I know you and I are really optimistic for Henry to have a a really great season we're investing some of his cards in the hobby market Um, but Really, it's it for the benefit of Tennessee. I think it will be beneficial for them to really rely heavily on their young phenom, number one option in AJ Brown, and then their one B option in Julio Jones, who's one of the best receivers any of us have ever seen. And Ryan Tannehill, by the way, also excels extensively. One of the best quarterbacks in the league at those mid tier throws. That's where Julio thrives the best. And he he's really got a perfect fit for this offense. Um, and I, I really, I, like I said, I think I think we're gonna see some of the lift off Derrick Henry and more shouldered by AJ Brown and Julio. I like I like the options for both in the fantasy and fantasy football world. I, I think AJ Brown and Julio are both great options. If you looked at like rushing attempts per pound, I'm sure Derrick Henry is more league average though because he's just so massive that if there was a person who could carry the workload and survive another year of 350 plus carries, I would put my money on Derrick Henry over any other running back in the league, just because he's, he's a, he's a linebacker and playing running back. You know, he, he could definitely take the hits over most running backs in the league. So yes, it's a huge workload, but just because of who he is and his stature and the way he's built, I'm less worried than I am say a, a Christian McCaffrey or an Alvin Kamara. Agreed. Touching back on A.J. Brown as well, a lot of people are worried about Julio Jones taking away some of his targets um, because, you know, you add a guy like that, the pedigree with Julio, he's definitely going to be someone that's going to be schemed into their game plan on offense. Um, But don't be worried about A.J. Brown's efficient, um, you know, production. If Even if he did get less targets, I mean, he's he's only had double-digit targets in two career games, and he's crazy efficient. 2.66 yards per route run. Last year, ranked fourth in the league amongst all wide receivers during that span. And he uh, he's just crazy efficient with the amount of work that he gets. It, it, it takes, you know, he, he, 
it, he's always capable of taking one to the house, regardless of where you're at in the football field. He's a crazy efficient receiver, so I would not be worried about him uh, from a volume standpoint, even if he did see a tick down, which I don't even think that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But if he did see a tick down in volume, he's still a crazy efficient receiver. Well worth that wide receiver one draft pedigree that he's being drafted at. Yeah, it, it's the receptions aren't what makes his money. It's it's the eighty yard touchdown that you know he'll, he'll get five or six times per year. He only had, um, I would say, slightly between a thousand and eleven hundred yards in in his first two seasons, but he had eight touchdowns and then he had eleven touchdowns. So it, it, this is a guy who is on pace, you know, for a third year to step up his his yardage. And also, I love to see that he's getting that eight or 11 touchdowns. I think he's got the right body and the size to replicate that effort. And it's not like Julio Jones is known as someone who gets a lot of touchdowns either. So I think that A.J. Brown is likely to once again lead this receiving core in touchdowns this year. Agreed. Are you considering Josh Reynolds at all in fantasy or at least in, are you on your watch list? I mean, Julio does miss games. It's, it's sometimes it's like it's not unheard of you know it's probably a, a good bet to to say julio probably has less than 13 games played this year so i mean that's gonna leave the door open for some opportunities for josh reynolds someone is that someone you're considering I'll, I'll keep an eye on him but he's not someone i'm rostering at, at this point because it's still a run first offense and he's still at this point the third wide receiver on this team and last year they really only supported two wide receivers with Corey davis being the number two option um, you know, I don't, I don't like his chances unless he, uh, one of those top two guys go down. Agreed. Where are you at with Ryan Tannehill? Are you, are, I saw you kind of have, uh, you, we both have him right around the, what, like QB eight to 10 range or so. Where are you at with him? Are you, are you optimistic about him being a fantasy producer? In, uh, he's very safe. He's, he's a back end QB one. He gets a little bit of rushing, not a lot, a lot of, um, rushing yards, but he'll get the rushing touchdowns. He's very wise and when he he uh likes to run his upside is limited once again because this isn't a team that throws the ball around a lot they're very conservative in, in their play calling year. i think they were 30th in, in pass rate last year so yeah right. so the volume's not high so maybe that this team now that they have julio maybe they throw a little bit more but still his upside is capped ryan Tannehill is a guy i would love to have say if i'm drafting justin fields or trey lance for the back half of the year and I need a bridge like before they take the starting role. And so I can roll out Ryan Tannehill for four or five games. He's, he's going to cost me a ninth, 10th round pick. So not too much in terms of draft capital. And I know I'm locking in a very solid, likely to get me 20 points starter. I like that strategy. That's a good one. I, I'm pretty optimistic about Tannehill. I think, you know, the, the, he makes this team better, obviously. And that's always, there's something to be said about that. And I think the addition of Julio, I continue to, that's the theme of this team right now for me. I just really like Julio Jones added to this team. It's crazy how how explosive and efficient and th- this team hits you from all directions over the last couple of seasons on offense under Tannehill. And then they add a guy like Julio Jones, like that completely raises the ceiling of this offense's capability. And I think even the volume of passing could go up. So I'm pretty optimistic about Tannehill. I like that strategy though. Grabbing a guy with a little, a little bit less upside in Tannehill and then grabbing a guy with huge upside in, in Justin Fields or Trey Lance. That's a pretty good one. All right. Uh, let's talk about the over-under win total. Nine is the over-under win. Are you optimistic about Tennessee getting to that to that uh, benchmark there? Uh, I am. I think that, you know, based on the past couple of years and the sustained success that they've had, 
And I think they've only gotten better this year. So I think nine is certainly in the cards and, and I, I'm going to take the over there. I'm going on the over as well. Uh, look, I, I, I have three teams on the over in this division this year. And you, a lot of people would think you're crazy because the AFC South looks terrible, but Look, I think this is a division that continues to be slept on year in and year out. They're just not very popular teams, and I think that kind of is represented in a lot of the gambling circles. These these over-under win totals often just kind of get skewed a little bit more down in kind of the inverse way that the Cowboys always get kind of skewed upwards because they're such a popular team. I think these four guys, these four teams kind of get a little bit slept on. And Tennessee, the Colts and Titans, they're not sexy by any means. They're not super high-scoring offenses. Mm -hmm. Their run first, ground and pound, but they're successful year after year. They turn out good results. Yeah, the Tennessee offense for me is just where it comes down to because they have a rare comp- combination of just versatile weapons and efficiency numbers. Because just last year they ranked fourth in pass efficiency and third in run efficiency. It doesn't matter how they do it to you; they they're, they're going to get they're going to get their yardage and their points. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also ranked eighth in explosive pass efficiency and tenth in explosive run efficiency. So not only are they efficient with the with the date the play by play numbers, they're also efficient when they try to get explosive on you. Mm-hmm. And then they ranked ten; they ranked in the top ten in each of those metrics over the last two seasons. So it hasn't just been last year; it's been the year before that as well. Yeah, Tannehill has completely changed this team since he took over. He's, he's a perfect fit for them. He's just consistent. And. I think the defense could, can get a little bit better. I think there's some room for improvement there. I do. The biggest loss for me on that side of the football for them was Adoree Jackson. I really liked him. I, coming out of USC, he was. Is he going? Is he on the Giants now? Yes, I believe so. I love and, that. I love yeah, that. I really like Adoree Jackson, and losing him is tough for the Tennessee defense. But I, I'm pretty optimistic about Dud, Bud Dupree. I know he had the injury late last year, so it might might be a bl- little bit of a slow start for him, but. He's you know, someone who was in the midst of a career season before he got hurt, and then the ACL injuries nowadays. You know, we're seeing guys come back better than ever. The the, the physical therapy and the medical advances that guys are are just taking advantage of in across sports is it, it's like a guy tears his ACL and you expect him to be better when he comes back almost. Right, and that's not always the case, but it it there are examples of that across all sports. And I think Bud, Bud Dupree has a good chance to be a difference maker for that for that side of the football and the, uh, for the Titans. So I'm pretty optimistic on the over. Yep, yep. We see this. We definitely see this team very similarly. Gotcha. All right. Pick a pick a division winner for me, Connor. This is a tough one. Colts versus the Titans really comes down to who who you think is going to come out on top for the AFC South. Um. I'm going to say the Colts. I think their upside is a little bit higher. I think the safer pick is probably the Titans, but I think the ceiling and the potential with Carson Wentz uh, makes me want to go with the Colts. Gotcha. I'm going to go with the Titans. I, look, I know they're the favorites. It's not the sexy pick, but the Titans are just I, – I, I really enjoy watching them move the football on offense, and I, I'm really excited for Julio to be a part of that. Um, the Colts. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I've never been a Carson Wentz guy, even back in Philadelphia. And I, I know the upsides there for him to maybe regain some of that, you know, mojo that he had early on in his career. But I, I want to see it to believe it. And I've seen Tennessee have success over the last couple of seasons. I know who they are a lot more so than the Colts. And so I'm going to go with the more known factor for me. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans. I know it's a minus one ten. Um, odds, so it's not necessarily you're yeah. not getting great. You're not getting good bang for your buck, but I think it's the safest play. Yeah, the, the Colts I think are plus one forty if I remember the show notes, and um, you know the, they have a similar win total, so I think I'm just playing the odds a little bit there and the upside. 
but yeah, you can't go wrong with either of these teams and, and their win total. At least I, I think we both feel very safe that they, they could push for double digit wins. Yeah. And look, the, the, the Texans are, their win total is four and a half. And I think we both love the under there. Oh yeah. So if they get one or two wins, that means it's going to be like one or two wins extra in the Colts and, and Titans back pocket almost. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't see any of these teams. I think, I think maybe the Jags lose to the Texans once. Um, but I don't, I think all three of those teams should beat up on the Texans this year. The Texans are going to be terrible. Yeah. All right, Connor, that's it for the AFC South, man. We, uh, we did it. We woke up early in the morning. We, we, uh, we did a breakfast club version of vicious talk with many P my coffee instead of beer this time. We're in the home stretch, my man. We are in the home stretch. Football season is right around the corner. We're going to try to finish up strong. We got two more divisions. We're going to break them out in the next couple of days. We also got our, our live uh, YouTube stream on Wednesday. Connor, tell tell our listeners about that one, one last time. Yeah, we're giving away a Keenan Allen jersey to people who create a free account on our website. Uh, we're going to give it away live on Wednesday night, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're also going to have trivia. You know, the vicious minute Ben's becoming famous for. We challenge our guests when they come on. We're going to do some live trivia. We're going to try and stump everyone. And we're going to have prizes. We're going to be giving away autographs and memorabilia. We're going to be giving away some cards, some sealed boxes, you know, and try to get everyone pumped up for this NFL season. I know we're excited and uh, hopefully we can bring that energy. Man, you're getting better and better on these promos. You're getting, you're, you're, you know, wrestling, the AW yesterday was apparently like the, the talk of the, the wrestling community. And I think you should definitely start getting wrestling some more watch because you are, you're becoming like one of those like Stone Cold Steve Austin's Rock Dwayne Johnson type of promos, man. You're getting right up there with it. <laughs> I'm getting better each time because I'm getting used to you throwing it to me now at the end of these uh, divisional breakdowns. So a little bit cleaner each time. Uh, for sure. All right, buddy. It's been a blast. Please, listeners, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all your podcast platforms. I hope you're enjoying our content here. We're really excited for the football season. Also, go to allthingsanalysis.com for all of your, you know, we got we got power rankings. We got fantasy rankings. We got, sh- we got notes going up, articles going up very soon. We're excited for the football season. Continue to follow us throughout the year. We will be offering as much advice and recommendations as we can in all of your fantasy football and gambling endeavors. Connor? That's going to be a wrap here for episode 76 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Any last words, buddy? Just, uh, you know, looking forward to the season and always a blast talking with you, brother. For sure. All right, I'll see you soon, Connor. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? Vicious.